Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Open your Bibles, Genesis chapter 27. We're going to finish the chapter today in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Genesis. And the title of our message is God's will must be done God's way. God's will must be done God's way. We covered the first half of chapter 27 last time. We learned it's another one of those unfortunate chapters in the Bible, unfortunate snapshots in a family, a sad chapter among many blessings of God. We learned that sad chapters, if we looked at our lives in a similar way, like a book, sad chapters come and go. I was talking to a brother not too long ago, reminding him that the difficulty that he's in right now, I said, you know, these things, they, they pass. And so endure it, face it, but these things pass. And it may not feel like that right now, but things pass and we grow through them. And God, he reveals the whole story to us. He doesn't hide these episodes. He lets us see that the people that he uses are imperfect, sinful. And I shared last time that it's one of the reasons why I believe in the inspiration of the scriptures. If we were writing the Bible, if we were writing these stories, we'd leave out all the bad stuff. And we'd want to make ourselves look well, but God doesn't do that. He gives us everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, that he might get the glory for the great things he has done. But there's another reason why these true stories in all their difficulty are recorded in the scriptures. Just jot it down. I'll read it to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 11, the Bible says this. Now, all these things happen to them as examples And they were written for our admonition. In the NLT, it says, to warn us. Why are we reading Genesis chapter 27? It's a warning. And it's a very strong warning. It's a warning not to be manipulative. It's a warning not to be deceitful. It's a warning not to play favorites in your home. It's a warning not to be a liar. There are all sorts of warnings in this chapter. It's recorded for us to see the effects Sometimes you just don't believe what the pastor says. You just don't believe what mom and dad are trying to tell you. You just don't believe what a friend's counsel is. Basically, the counsel sounds like this. Don't do it. You'll regret it. Oh, no, I've got a special anointing. I've got a special reason. I've got a special. It might be bad for you. It might be bad for them, but it won't be bad for me. But the Bible is very clear that the wages of sin is always death. Always. Nobody here gets around that. These stories are revealing to us the warnings that God has for us through example. Uh, Another passage in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. So you got warnings and learning so that we, through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Studying through the Old Testament, you may stop and think, what in the world are we doing in the Old Testament? Why are we reading the Old Testament? 
Some churches even take the position we're new covenant believers, the Old Testament's not relevant anymore. That's not true. We don't take that position. But when you're reading through the Old Testament, maybe reading through the Bible, and you're going through Genesis, you can understand it. Leviticus, you can, or Genesis, Exodus, you can understand it. Leviticus, you start to wonder, what value is this? And why would God have this in here? And how can I learn from this book of the Bible or this chapter or this true story here in the 21st century? Why are we studying a book that's thousands of years old? How irrelevant some think the Bible can be, especially the Old Testament, how boring. Look, you gotta understand something. You understand this very clearly. I want you to know this for the rest of your life. The Bible might be a lot of things, but one thing it's not, it's not boring. This is not a boring book. And forgive us pastors if we have ever made the Bible boring for you because we have misrepresented the very love letter of God to your heart. The Bible is not boring. Now you might be boring, the Bible is not boring. Or you might be uninterested, or you may not want to listen, or I might fight some of the truths, but the Bible is not boring. The Bible says, Jesus would even quote this from Deuteronomy chapter 8, man should live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word. Don't avoid the Bible or minimize the Old Testament. It's valuable, it's practical. And when you think about it, we're studying the life of the early church on our weekend services. We're looking at the beginnings of life in Genesis, the beginning of everything. In the book of Acts, we're learning about the beginning of the church, what God's will is for the church. In the early church, you can see that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. You can see they made great progress. Cities were transformed. Lives were transformed. Leaders at the time, when they would show up to a city, would look at them and go, well, look, the, the apostles, the believers, those that are turning the world upside down have come here too. They were angry with the followers of Jesus as much as they were angry at Jesus himself. And how did they become so strong? Well, of course, we know in the book of Acts in chapter, in the early chapters, they received what? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. They became witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit. They received the power from on high to be the witnesses that God has called them to be. And the main tool that they used was the scriptures. Now, what scriptures were they? It wasn't the New Testament. In the beginning of the book of Acts, the New Testament did not exist. It was still being lived out real time. What were the scriptures that strengthened the early believers? The Old Testament. The Holy Spirit used the Old Testament in the fulfillment of Messiah, and it made them strong men and women. One of the commitments that I've made to you as a pastor and as a leader of this church is to feed you spiritually, to nourish you in the word of God week after week, month after month, year after year. And what I mean by that is my plan is, is eventually one day, I hope, to teach you through the whole Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. So one day I will be able to say like Paul did to the elders in, in the book of Acts in Ephesus that I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I can say like he did, I'm innocent of all man's blood. So far, I've made it through in 23 years, 
the New Testament. <laughs> and uh, some of the Old Testament, maybe a third, maybe a, I don't know, we haven't looked yet. I didn't count the books, but a lot of the Old Testament as well. But my goal is not just to do that, to do that. I want to do it, be led by the Holy Spirit. So the timing's not my business. I'm going to go through, and some books we've had to repeat over the years because God has been doing different things, and we need to be reminded. That's my commitment. It's how I was discipled. That's what I grew under, and that's what I have the privilege of bringing to you to teach you the Bible and teach you what it means and teach you how to live it. The early church was students of the Old Testament. These things are here for our strength and our growing. I do want you to hold it. We will get to Genesis 27, but I need to build this for you. That's why we split it up into two weeks. Go over to 2 Timothy real quick here, just so you see the reminder in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, what Paul wrote to young Timothy about the power of the Scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3. When you get there, I'll draw your attention to verse 14. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 14 says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Parents, it's important to read the Bible to your kids, even beginning in the womb, that they might know the Word of God and hear your voice reading to them the Scriptures. That's what happened in Timothy's life. How did Timothy become Timothy? A lot of different things in his life, but I'll tell you one that we learn right here. His mom and his grandma studied the Bible with this kid and discipled him in the Word. So he says, here, you've known the Holy Scriptures, and notice what the Holy Scriptures do. They are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Notice the four things that the Bible's profitable for. Number one, for doctrine. Doctrine teaches us the truth about God. The Bible's profitable. You want to know about God? You need to know the Bible. Secondly, not only for doctrine, but for reproof. Reproof is teaching us what's wrong. The Bible teaches us the truth about God. Then the Bible teaches us what's wrong about us. And in our lives, what needs improvement? Thirdly, the Bible teaches us correction. It's profitable for correction. This is teaching God is so gracious to us. He doesn't just point out all the problems with us, all the difficulties. But the third thing he does, he teaches us how to take the wrong things and make them right. That's what correction is. I know correction is not very popular among us because we get very defensive. We're all puffed up with pride. But you and I need to be corrected continually. In learning how to grow in God's grace, the Bible will do that. Not only that, number four, the last thing is instruction in righteousness. So doctrine's teaching us what's right. Reproof is teaching us what's wrong. Correction's teaching us how to fix what's wrong. And instruction in righteousness is teaching us how to stay right. And the Bible covers everything about your life. So in verse 17, that the man of God, the woman of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. So please, please, please be careful with your Bibles. Be careful with your Bibles. Don't let anyone take it away from you. Don't let anyone discourage you from using it, from reading it. Don't let the church that you attend 
just make, minimize it like it's not important and you don't need a Bible. I'm here to tell you, you need a Bible. Even if you're in a church right now that tells you you don't, go buy one. You need a Bible. You need a Bible for when you're not in that building for an hour. You need a Bible for the other 23 hours and the hour you're in there. You need the Word of God. You need to read it. You need to listen to it. You need to study it. And you know what else? You need to do it. The Bible is profitable for you. Super important in your life. God's word is truly effective and powerful. I look around as we've been going through the servants class that we've been reminded in 1 Corinthians that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I look around and I see the progress and I see the change and I see what God has done among us. I see it individually in many of your lives. I see it in a broader sense over the larger life of our church. I see it with the multiplicity of churches in our community that are following after the Lord. And I look particularly here among us and it leaves you in awe of the faithfulness of God. He keeps his word and his word is profitable for you. If you will read it and do it, your life will change very, very quickly. I look around as we're learning God's word, watching God do the work, as we're reading, as we're studying, as we're taking heed to it. God's word will accomplish his work. My, my warning to you, my encouragement to you is to stick with it. There's nothing else. I know you're look, you might be looking for something else. Today on the radio program, someone called in today, to, or actually they texted in about the new popularity of deliverance ministries, deliverance ministries. Look, just read your Bible. Don't worry about chasing after all kinds of new ministries and like, but Ed, you don't understand. The Bible is boring. It's not. And because you think that, you open yourself up to all kinds of weird stuff. Now you need some special ministry and you need some special, oh, I know what my problem is. I just got a demon. If you are a believer in Christ, you've got no demon inside of you. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. He has come to permanently dwell in you and empower you. Who has convinced you that it's a demon possessing you? A demon doesn't possess you. False teaching possesses you. You don't need some deliverance ministry or watch some, well, you know, there's a new movie out there. Why did you go there? It's all bunk. That was an old 80s term, if you remember, but you use whatever you want to use today. It's not true. Just give me the Bible. What do you have to say to me, God? I'm struggling right now. 99 times out of 10, I'm not saying the demonic realm, spiritual warfare doesn't oppress you, doesn't stress you out, doesn't come against you, doesn't use circumstances to distract you, to try to get you to believe a lie. The demonic realm is real. Don't misunderstand me. But the idea that you can blame everything on the demon is not true. It's your flesh. So just repent. It's amazing what repentance and forsaking sin will do in your life. Where do you learn that? In the Bible. Not some pastor in a pulpit. The Bible says that. To a church, no less. Jesus himself, who is very careful with his words. To the church in Ephesus, he said, remember from where you have fallen, repent and repeat the first works. He said that to a church. He didn't say, I'm sending a deliverance ministry. Hang on, we'll be right there. He said, look, you know, the biggest problem in your life as you've walked away from me, as you've left your first love is you need to remember. 
Remember when we were close and intimate, when you were open to me, you were communing with me, you were reading and praying, you were receiving from me. And now, because you remember, now you know where you are, the next step is you need to repent. That's a sinful condition for a believer to be in. And then go back and start over again. Pick up where you left off. Go back to that new believer's zeal or that, des- that time when you would obey God very, very quickly. And you're not so quick anymore. Now you're thinking about it and checking it out and you're not so sure and you're asking everybody's opinion. That's not how it was when you were a new believer. You didn't know anybody to ask. It was just you and Jesus. And you're like, okay, okay, you want me, you, you want me, to, you, you want me to go apologize to people I offended? Okay, I can do that. You didn't ask around, who should I apologize? Who should I? How should I? Should, you know, I think, and then you didn't develop this phrase until a little bit later on, but this phrase is often used for delayed obedience. Don't get mad at me. You just admit it, okay? But this phrase is often used for delayed obedience. You know what it is? Well, let me pray about it. There are definitely times to pray, but there are also times to get up. You say, are you serious, pastor? Yeah, that's exactly what God told Joshua. He told Joshua, enough. Get up. There's sin in the camp. You go take care of it. You don't need to pray anymore. You know it's wrong. And God began to reveal to him. The Bible's powerful, church. When you read and study the scriptures, whether it's the Old or the New Testament, look at the examples Look for the examples and the lessons that God wants to warn us with or teach us. Paul's telling us not to miss out and gloss over them like they don't matter. It's been said that experience is the best teacher. It's true. But listen, it doesn't have to be your own personal experience. (laughs) It can be somebody else's (laughs) that you can learn from. So I was raising my kids. I would share with them. You You don't, part of my parenting, and sometimes I went a little overboard uh, trying, to, trying to help my kids avoid all the sin, but my, I was super uh, concerned about my kids turning out and following my bad example, which none of them really ever saw in my BC days because by the time uh, my kids were born, I was saved, and my, young, my oldest uh, was just coming to make observations of our family when we got saved. So, you know, he was, what, three or four years old when I got saved, four and a half. And so I would teach them like, man, I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do this. I want, trust me, you don't want to make these decisions. Trust me, you want the benefits of obedience over and over. And you know, there could be that, that response, you know, come on, dad, come on, come on, dad. But truly my heart, as I know they'll make their own decisions and I know they'll venture out, but my heart will never change. Just trust me. Trust me, son. Trust me, daughter. It's a hard road. The way, the old King James says, the way of the transgressor is hard. And it truly is. With that in mind, Genesis chapter 27, we, have, we drop into this family where the transgressions will make life very hard for them because they attempt to do the right thing the wrong way. Pick up where we left off in verse 24 now. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come 
near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, my God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, plenty of grain and wine. Let the people serve you. Nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed is everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Then it happened as soon as Isaac finished blessing Jacob, Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac that Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. Isaac pronounces the blessing upon him, questions, he's uncertain, his eyesight is dimming, he smells, he comes near, and the blessing was given, which leads us to the theological question, was it the will of God for Jacob to receive the blessing? The answer, yes. Yes, it was the will of God. Rebecca knew that. Jacob knew that. That's not the problem here. The problem of Jacob receiving the blessing is, that's not the problem. That's not the issue. The issue is this. Rebecca went about it the wrong way. She went about it the wrong way. God would have accomplished his will without all of these manipulative, deceitful shenanigans by Rebecca. This is a perfect example of two people who are convinced in the purpose of purposes of God and believe God will do what he said, but are impatient and want to help God out a little bit. They went about doing God's work, but not in God's way. Moses did the same thing. Exodus chapter two, David, second Samuel chapter six. We can think of over and over again, examples where you want to do the right thing, but you choose the wrong methodology. Her deception was designed to bring about the purposes and plan of God, but the Bible never sanctions sin to bring about God's blessings. God never sanctions or approves of sin. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul said as much, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You want to know the will of God for your life. There are many parts of the will of God we may not know exactly, but we do know this. It is not okay to sin. That is not God's will for your life. But you don't understand, Ed, if I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this and I cut this corner, something really, really good will come out of it. God does not sanction sin. You are deceived to think that you can control the outcome of your decisions you're deceived. You don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know what is the consequences may be. I don't know, but I do know this. If I'm obediently following the Lord, I can trust him with the outcome. I can trust him with the outcome of the decisions as I seek to follow him. Notice again in verse 30, it happened as Isaac receives the, finishes blessing Jacob, Jacob barely went out and then his brother came in, verse 31, He also made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of my son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? You got to wonder what that sounded like. Was it timid? 
Did he, was he afraid? Like, did he sense, who are you? Or was he, who are you? What are you talking about? Like, he's, there's confusion there. Sin always brings confusion. He says, I am your son, your firstborn Esau, verse 33. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. You get the scene right at that very moment. God arranges, Esau comes in from hunting, makes a meal for his dad. There's great fear. Isaac realizes he blew it. He's been deceived. Something's happened. He doesn't quite know. Notice verse 34. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken your blessing away. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? which can mean conniver or deceitful or supplanter. He, he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he's taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Verse 37, then Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I've made him your master and all his brethren. I've given, him to, you, given to him his servants with grain and wine. I've sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said, have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me even now. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And then Isaac, his father, answered, said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when, he becomes when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Esau, he weeps bitterly, begging his dad, bless me, bless me. But his dad basically says, you're too late, buddy. It's gone. The blessing's been given. You see, Esau here, we have more insights on who he is, really. These circumstances in our lives, these difficulties. I wonder who I'm speaking to today that's been ripped off, that's been taken advantage of. One of the benefits, if you will, you want to call it that, one of the consequences of, of this situation is it's revealed your heart. It's revealed who you are. You didn't quite know who you were until you experienced that. That's where Esau is. You can see his response. He wanted the blessing, but he's lost his senses in his anger and rage. You notice in verse 36, he's not thinking straight. In verse 36, isn't he rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me now. He took away my birthright. We just studied this church. He didn't take away his birthright. Esau gave it up for a bowl of stew. <laughs> and that's what will happen when you're filled with bitterness. When you're allowing anger to control, you will not see reality. You will redefine reality. This is not the truth. Jacob didn't steal his birthright. Esau despised his birthright. He despised it. He's described in Hebrews when we study in Hebrews chapter 12. He talk, Esau is described, he says, let there not be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. 
And you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. We learned something about this. An emotional response does not necessarily equate to repentance. Big crocodile tears and emotion doesn't necessarily mean that you're repentant. It requires, as we learned in the, in the letter to the Corinthians, godly sorrow, not human sorrow. Godly sorrow, where you recognize your sin is against God, not what you've lost, not the current condition of your life. It wasn't really the birthright or the blessing that Esau wanted. I mean, it wasn't really the, the position that God placed him in. He just wanted a blessed life. He wanted a blessed life. The birthright, he didn't want the birthright. He sold that for a bowl of stew. I want you to equate, when you think of birthright, responsibility. Birthright equals responsibility. He didn't want that. He wanted the blessings. You could say it this way. Esau here is an example to avoid a warning for you right now not to want the blessings without the responsibility. Not to want the blessings without the responsibility. I just want, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me. And there are many. There are many today in the broader body of Christ that want the blessings but not the birthright. They want the blessings of God, but they don't want responsibility. They'll take religion, but not responsibility. I'll take church. I'm not opposed to church, some would say, as long as it doesn't change my life. I can fit it in somewhere. What do you have for me, pastor? What services? What night of the week? I can't do this, but I can do that. I can't do that, but you can do And I'm not talking about like, hey, I can't be in fellowship because I have to work. I mean, I, you got to provide for the needs of your family. But you know, I can't be, that's my golf day. Oh, really? You can't change your golf day to be in worship and serve the Lord? No, not really, because I paid for it in advance. You know, all the reasons. And so your kids stay home and you're out golfing and everything's in disarray. Why? And I wonder if somebody, like if somebody's golfing right now. It's not in my notes. I'm just golfing. I'm not, I don't know golf's on my mind. I don't know why. I'm not even a golfer, but I wonder. It doesn't have to be golfing. You put anything in there. You want the blessings, not the birthright. You want the benefits, but you don't really want to die to yourself. You want to add to your life. You don't want to lose your life. And that's going to cause you great problem. There'll be those that would come into the church sit down and say, okay, pastor, here's my hour. You better make it good, preacher. And then they'll walk out upset. Church, it was boring. It was so boring. It was so boring. Yeah, maybe it was, but what about you? Where are you in your walk with the Lord? Even in the most boring of Bible studies, God has a word for you. Even if this, it's this more and more, we, we were warned about this years ago. I remember teaching this in the early days of this church, 23 years ago, how the church is becoming very consumer, very consumer. It was very at the, right, at the birth of the church growth movement where men came in with their plans and their methods and now they're going to build the church. And it created generations of people that now look at the church of, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? And, and there is responsibility for the leaders, but there's also responsibility for the believers to buy that nonsense. What do you have for me? 
When did Christianity ever become, what do you have for me? Somewhere along the way, we've lost the self-denial that's required in being effective followers of Christ. Jesus would even say that you are not a follower of him if you do not deny yourself. That is the pathway. And God is not wanting to develop consumers, but communers, worshipers of God, surrendered men and women. If you walk out upset of a church, let it be for the conviction of sin in your life, for the revelation of where you are. Let it be where you're not happy with where you are in your walk and where you are in relation to God. Not all these other things, what do you have for me, and you didn't have this, and you didn't do that, and it'll get you nowhere. Let it not be the case for us, but rather to yield. You're going to end up being like Esau here. I want the blessing. I want the blessing. Don't you have any blessing? Esau, you've got a heart issue. You've got deep problems. This family is in disarray for a variety of reasons. But that doesn't end with the bitter cry in verse 34. This exceedingly great and bitter cry. This isn't the kind of crying that is because of pain. It's not the kind of crying because of loss. It is an angry, bitter, unrepentant response to his dad here. His dad was deceived. His dad was unable to see. He was deceived, might I add, by the person that he trusted the most, his spouse. And he was deceived by perhaps the second or third person he trusted the most, his son. And his other son comes in and gets mad at dad. Gets mad at his brother, I can see that. And it didn't stop there. Bitterness won't stop until it totally consumes you. Look, verse 41. So Esau, what does your Bible say? Say it out loud. So Esau hated Jacob. What did Jesus say about hatred? Hatred is just like murder. He's starting to murder him in his heart already. Because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, and then I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. (laughs) I'm going to spend my days, seven days, customary days of mourning, but as soon as I'm done mourning, you're a dead man, Jacob. That's what's happening here. The wages of sin is death. This is what's happening because of the sin in this family. Jesus said hatred is the beginning of murder. We learn in Genesis chapter 4 verse 5, it says Cain was very angry. His countenance fell. And what does he end up doing? Murdering is his brother. In the words of Esau, verse 42, her older son were told to Rebekah, So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay there with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him, as if that's going to happen. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. 
If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Sin has wrecked them all. Jacob can't be at home. Esau's become a murderer. Rebecca's all jacked up and worried and concerned, and she is weary, it says. We'll get to that in a moment. Esau, notice I, I circled the words just so they would stick out for me. Uh, it says in verse 34, bitter cry. I have that circled. Verse 41, hated. Verse 41, kill. Verse 44, fury. Verse 45, anger. That's this whole home is in disarray because they tried to do the right thing the wrong way. And it's important we learn to do the right thing the right way, allowing God to lead and guide us. She really believes this is going to cool over for in a few days. Just another sibling squabble between brothers, but she was wrong. By the time Jacob returns home, his mom will be, mar- will be buried. He's going to be away for a while. The result of her conniving was that she lost both her sons. It didn't work out the way. And verse 46, did you notice? The result of her conniving sinful plan was that she's weary. She's weary for a reason. She's concerned about Jacob and who he's going to marry, but she's weary. Why? Because deceitfulness and rebellion against God will wear a person out. It will destroy the person on the inside out. That's why you don't see it right away. People are good to put on a face and a smile and everything's good. Oh, how you doing, brother? How you doing, brother? Oh, hi, sister. It's great. Hallelujah. Great song, pastor. Or whatever the behavior is. But inside, bitterness is destroying their lives. Little by little. And they're weary and tired. Not serving the Lord. The Bible says, don't grow weary in well-doing. You can be wearied in well-doing. You can be weary in sin. Which will you choose? The Bible says, don't be grow weary in well-doing because you have a hope. There's a future. There is a good end to it, but not for Rebecca. She lost both her boys over this. The person who lives in sin, weariness is a part of the package. I mentioned this verse, but let me give you the address in Proverbs 13, verse 15. It says, good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. And that's where, that's the new King James, the old King James, the way of the transgressor. Now, as we move forward in Genesis, know that Jacob, the conniver, he is in for some tough, hard times too, because he's going to meet a man by the name of Laban. And Laban will be a hard man to work for and to live with. And he has lessons. He'll meet his match in good old Uncle Laban. We can, we can avoid it all together as we submit ourselves to the Lord and do his word allowing him to use us and grow us that we might do the right thing the right way. I was just sharing that with the team today. It's so important in our pastor's meeting as well. It's so important to do the right thing all the time. If you do the right thing all the time, you don't need to worry about the future. God is taking care of it. You don't need to worry about being found out. You don't need to worry about some things, hidden sin being exposed. You don't need to worry about somebody being hurt down the road because you handled it the right way the first time. And when you handle it the right way the first time, every time, 
It gives a sense of peace and rest where you can just trust in the Lord because you don't need to worry about anything that would come from deceit. Now, of course, are we perfectly perfect in that? No, we're human. But I'm telling you, you can have a pattern of obedience in your life. And you can have a pattern where when, I think the saying is, when you tell the truth, you don't need a good memory. Well, I would say the same thing. When you're doing the right thing every day, you don't need to worry about the future. Because the truth is the truth. And the the revelation of the truth will always come out. Just give it time. And as you're waiting on the Lord, your strength is renewed. You're not trying to connive and and put on the hairy arms and make somebody smell like the dirt and come on, we're going to make... No, you're just like, hey, I don't know how... I know what God said. I know what he wants to do. I know how he flipped the blessings. I don't know how that's all going to happen, but I know God's word is true. I'm going to trust him. And you just live your life day by day, moment by moment. So Father, I thank you uh, for the uh, word that you have for us, for the strength that you impose to us through your word. We're grateful for the warnings. We don't want to see other families hurt or you know, situations like that. That brings us no joy. However, God, we know that even now in the presence of you in all eternity, you've sorted it all out for them and they're in your presence and there's great joy uh, in your presence of the work that you're accomplishing in them with this whole family, how you sorted it all out in perfect judgment, and perfect righteousness. But today we're here, God, and we recognize our great need for you. We recognize that there are some that need to remember from where they have fallen and to repent and to do the first works, not just in some big sin, like some big dramatic uh, thing, but every little day. We don't want to leave our first love, God. We don't want to be caught up in the things of this world or the cares and concerns that might take us away. But rather, God, we want to press in and to be built up in you. May you have your way with us tonight. And maybe today you're just here and you're, you're, you're like, Man, I, need to, I need to be in a relationship with God. And if you're even thinking that, like kind of considering that, I would agree with you. Jesus, he came to die for your sins so that by faith in him, your sins can be forgiven and your life can be forever changed. You know, Jesus, he came and he said, unless a man and by extension a woman is born again, he won't see the kingdom of heaven. And I invite you to turn away from your sins today and receive the forgiveness of your sin. To turn your life in a way where you're now presenting yourself to God and denying yourself and choosing to follow him. Because that's the simple invitation of Jesus. The simple invitation of Jesus is follow me. And I think over the years we've complicated it made it more than it is. Jesus invites you to follow him. He doesn't say join a church or get religious, try to change all your behavior. He says, you just come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The real rest that you're looking for. The rest of the forgiveness of your sins because he says he will give you a rest for your soul. That's the, 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 the concern of your soul is your eternity. And so if you're here today and you'd say, Ed, I do. I I want my sins forgiven. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. I want to give you uh, the opportunity to turn away from your sins. God bless you guys over here. Who else would say, that's me, that this is the moment that God would say, bless you, that God would say that, 
And today, I want you to know that there's assurance of your salvation. You can know that you know there's assurance, confidence. Is there anyone else, you guys online or on the radio right now, God's speaking to your heart, drawing you to himself, downstairs perhaps, God just has your attention. God would minister to you, encourage you, strengthen you. And so one of the things we started doing, you guys that are standing, is we we started just having the pastors come to you. You're going to see a lot of that as things, there's going to be movement in the room, church, uh, where God is moving because the pastors are mobilizing, just like Jesus did. He just went to those. He went to them. So we're trying something new that we just think God's going to use greatly and that the pastors are going to come to you. So if somebody sends standing next to you, it's on purpose to encourage you and to build you up and to remind you you're not alone. And so pray with me. You can pray something like this. You could say, God, I come to you tonight and ask for a, your forgiveness for the sin in my life. I desire wholeness and completeness and peace. I believe, Jesus, you died for my sins and rose again the third day so that I don't have to live. sinful behavior like just feeling stuck all the time I turn away from my sin and I choose to follow you and father I just feel that burden tonight I feel that burden like people feel stuck in their sin not just stuck in life or in a relationship or in singleness not that but stuck in their sin and if you're you that's you right now I want you to respond. Do you feel stuck in your sin? I want you to respond right now. I want you just to say out loud, I don't want to be stuck. God, unstuck me. Release me. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to be stuck. Jesus Christ has set the captives free. You can live in freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom, and it's accessed by faith. Believe God that He has freed you. Believe God that He has healed you. Believe God that there's a future and a hope for you. And I just think you, you know, just saying it out loud. You can say it out loud maybe while we're singing. You can say it out loud, uh, you know, while I'm talking. It doesn't matter. Just say it out loud. God, free me. By faith, I believe you, God. It seems impossible. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. And Father, I just pray for a releasing of the power of your spirit among us. That we would learn our true identity in you. And walk in the power and the privileges that are ours by birthright. Born again birthright. We receive and accept the responsibilities and also we want to enjoy the blessings of being your daughter and your son. So bless your church tonight, Lord. Refresh us in the spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys that responded. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. 
For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.